0: Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning, if you've got a kiddo in the room who is third grade or under and you would like them to go down the hall for their lesson, uh, the McCabe family, uh, Allison and Ashley back there in the blue church, Jim has already taken off down the hall, uh, they can follow them out the doors here uh, for their lesson as we open the scriptures for our sermon this morning. And if you're staying in here with us, we're glad that you're here on this holiday weekend. Uh, if you're tuned in online, if you're, if you're on the live stream, wherever you're watching, we're glad that you're there as well. Uh, but if you are new with us, my name's Shannon. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer and that we're glad that you're here. Uh, when you came in, if you're here with us in person, you should have found a card that looks like this in a seat somewhere around you. Uh, if you would like some information about Redeemer, feel free to fill that out, and you can drop it in the box at the kiosk on your way out today. There's also a place for prayer requests on the back side of that. If, you, if there's things we can pray with you or for you about, it would be our honor to do that. Uh, if you're online or in person and would like to submit that electronically, you can just scan the QR code on the backs of the chairs in front of you, or go to RedeemerRC.com, and on the homepage there's a place to fill out that same information and drop prayer requests as well, so we can pray with you and answer any questions that you might have. If you got a Bible with you this morning, wherever you are, uh, I want to invite you to turn with me uh, to Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is our text this morning. I'm going to read it for our hearing, and it's going to be on the screen behind me if you don't have a copy in front of you, so that you're able to follow along there as well. Psalm 34, we'll pick up in verse 1 and read the entire psalm together. Psalm 34, verse 1, David writes, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. And he hears his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the face of the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is God's word. I learned early on in life, in like science classes in third, fourth, fifth grade, that there were two ways that you can magnify something. You can magnify something by looking at it through the lens of a microscope. Now, some of you have done experiments with microscopes. Those of you who are homeschool families, maybe you've got a microscope in your little classroom that you do science lessons with. Or if you're in public school or private school, maybe you've looked through microscopes and seen things underneath those lenses. But a microscope is designed particularly to do one thing, to take things that are very small and make them appear to be larger than life. Right? So if you've ever seen a picture of like a flea or of a tick or of a bed bug under a microscope they appear to be monsters of sci-fi lore right okay and so if you ever see a picture of a bed bug under a microscope you will never sleep on a hotel room bed ever again for the rest of your life or a camp bed for that matter okay those things are grotesque They're like they could eat your whole body with one bite, all right? So they take things that are very small, make them appear to be larger than life. That's what a microscope does, but a telescope does something very different. I remember when my kids were younger, buying them a telescope. Now, it was a very cheap telescope that might have seen the fate water tower from our backyard, okay? Um, And it's literally just behind our fence, okay? Um, So it was a very cheap telescope, but really high power telescopes Those ones that, uh, those who study the skies and the stars and the galaxies, they use those to peer out into our galaxy, and beyond. And those telescopes, they're designed to do one thing as well, to take things that are massive and huge planetary bodies and stars that are very, very, very transcendent. In other words, they're far removed from us and hard to see with the naked eye and to bring them right up close so that they can be seen as they are. Not larger than they are, but as they are. Right? So you can, mic- you, you, can, you can magnify something through a microscope, taking something very small, making it seem larger than life, or you can magnify it through a telescope, something that's very far out in the distance, and bring it in really close so that it can be seen as it is. And listen, church, you might be able to frame up all human life, all human interactions, and all human experiences by looking through one of those two lenses. When you, The microscope, for instance. So much of human life in a fallen world is spent looking at ourselves through a microscope. We're constantly inhaling. That's the title of the series. Exhale, right? Learning to exhale theology in the midst of a fallen reality. But in a fallen world, we're constantly inhaling the magnification of self. Day after day after day. We live in what might be known on the street as a you do you, boo boo, right, type of culture. Okay? Right? It's all about self. As a result, the modern self was made into something that it was never created by God to be, and that is a monster at times. Think of all the damage that has been done and is currently being done in the world because people are looking at themselves through the microscope, magnifying the self. Listen, the most vicious dictators and warlords lords in human history were magnifying themselves under a microscope. As a result, you saw wars and genocides and ethnic cleansings across the globe. You think about slave traders and sex traffickers. What are they doing? Magnifying themselves under the lens of the microscope. You had the carnage of the transatlantic slave trade and chattel slavery in the United States along with modern day sex slaves who are often young girls who are being sold to the highest bidder to gratify the perverse and demented desires of those who purchase them. It's the magnification of self. Like many of you this morning may have gotten even an amber alert this morning about a child abduction across the lake in Garland. Like I did. It's the microscope. Right? You, th- you think about abortion. Much of the conversation around abortion rights over the last 50 years has been put about putting the self under the microscope and magnifying the wants and desires of the human heart race relations those conversations often devolve at times they break down because a person or a group of people are magnifying self under the microscope and cannot see through the lens of another person or live in their shoes so you're like oh those are big things right what about let's get let's get a little closer to home friendships Uh uh-oh Friendships erode sometimes because one person in the friendship is magnifying the self. And all they can see with their eyes are their wants, their desires, and their needs. And so they end up manipulating, coercing, or abusing others in the context of the friendship. And it causes it to pull apart. Listen, you might say this is classic narcissistic behavior. And while not everyone may be able to be categorized as a narcissist, we all have a little bit of it in us. Because we're all prone to self magnification. What about in families? At the root of abuse and neglect and betrayal is the, is the magnification of the self. Like, I'm more important than you. What I want is more important than what my child needs. It's neglect. That me being in power, having control and authority in the home, and no one can question it, that kind of abuse is all about self. Betrayal in the context of a marriage. Adultery in the context of marriage is all about self. The magnification of self even, listen, the ongoing petty arguments that you have in marriage that doesn't ever seem to find resolution is all because one person or both people are magnifying self. We're constantly inhaling this. It's the experience of our reality. And if we're going to respond to it, we have to learn to exhale the magnification of God. Because that's what we need to see through the telescope, not the microscope. See, the Bible constantly calls us to see ourselves not as larger than life, right? But to see God as He is. In His person, in His power, in His presence. To see God in His holiness, in His love, and in His justice. To see God in His mercy, and in His grace, and in His forgiveness. To see God in His aseity. Like, what does that mean, right? Your grandmama might have said this way. She may not have had the theological language, but she might have said, listen, God is God all by himself and he don't need nobody else his self-sufficiency, his self-giving heart, his beauty and his majesty and his glory. The Bible puts that on display for us page after page after page after page. And the Bible says the only appropriate response to seeing God as he is, is worship. Is worship. Therefore, in Psalm 34, verse 3, David says these words, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt His name together. When David says magnify the Lord, he's not saying let's take God who is very, very small and make Him appear to be very, very big. He's saying let's take God who is bigger than us, transcendent from us, apart from us, some, like, The creator and owner of every galaxy and cause Him to be seen as He is in our lives as we magnify Him through worship together. That's what He's calling us to. But the question that faces us this morning is this, how do we change those lenses? How do we go from the microscope to the telescope? Making life about projecting ourselves to be something that we are not to making our lives about worshiping the One who is everything that we are not. And I believe there's two commands in this text. Like There's about seven sermons in this text, probably more. I can only preach one this morning, okay? And so I'm not going to hit on everything in this passage, but I'm going to give you two commands here. As we seek to change the lenses... And go from a microscope to a telescope. And the first one is this. If we ever have any hope of doing this, we must experience for ourselves the goodness of God. Experience the goodness of God. Listen, have you ever tasted anything that you thought was so delectable, that was so delicious, that was so sweet, or that was so savory, that you just thought, hey, you've got to get a taste of this for yourself. You ever been there before? Like gone to that restaurant that everyone's been raving about. And so they're posting reviews about the chicken fried steak and the gravy, okay? Or they're posting reviews about the steak and how it, you cut it with a butter knife and it just melts in your mouth, right? They're posting reviews about all these things, about the food that is so delicious. And they say, you've got to go for yourself because you've got to taste this. That's what David says in Psalm 34. In verse 8, he says, you've got to taste for yourself and experience just how good the Lord is. Now, those words in verse 8 are action words. Taste, see for yourself. He doesn't just say, hey, ponder on the goodness of God. He doesn't just say, think about the goodness of God. Contemplate the goodness of God. Consider the goodness of God. He says, taste it see it it's palpable something that you experience not just think about you've got to taste it and see it for yourself david says and he doesn't just say this out of thin air okay he's not just pontificating in some abstract reality he's thinking about very concrete experiences that he himself has had with god look at me in verses four to seven when At the end of verse, in verse 8, he says, Taste and see, but before that, he leads all the way up to it by talking about the ways that God has delivered him. In verse 4, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. In verse 6, David says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard me and saved me out of all my troubles. Now, what is David talking about in these verses? If you go back to the beginning of the psalm in the little introductory comment underneath Psalm 34. It, re- it 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 speaks of an occasion it tells you the psalm was written by David and the occasion upon which he wrote it and this is what it says and i quote when he changed his behavior before abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away now that sounds like a rather benign statement whenever you read it at the as the the superscription of psalm 34 but whenever you go to 1 samuel chapter 21 and you read the story that's being referred to here it's a Fascinating, intriguing statement. Listen to 1 Samuel 21, beginning in verse 10. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went out to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David has tens of thousands. And David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let a spittle run down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought him to me? You brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence. Shall this fellow come into my house? And then 1 Samuel 22, verse 1 says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So David, here's the situation. David is fleeing from Saul for his life, right? Because Saul is the current king of Israel. David is the anointed and chosen and future king of Israel. And Saul is filled with jealousy and insecurity. And so Saul is seeking to take David's life to retain power and to reclaim his reputation. And so David flees to Gath. Now where is Gath? Gath is a Philistine city. Remember the same Philistines that Israel went to war with whenever David was a boy, and David cuts off the head of their mighty warrior Goliath with his own sword after he strikes him down with a stone slung from a sling. Those same Philistines. David's going there looking for protection from his own king who's trying to kill him. And whenever he gets there, the king's servant says, hey, isn't this the guy? Isn't this the anointed king? Haven't they been singing his praise? they even got like line dances they're doing as they rejoice in David. Right? This is the guy they've all been talking about. And that gives you the impression that they're thinking in the back of their minds, hey, now is the opportunity either to turn him or to kill him before he can come to the throne. So David decides to pretend like he has lost his marbles. He starts making all these marks on the gate just standing there. You can imagine him. Just day after day making these... And spittle just running down his beard, right? Just unkempt and just, just acting out of his mind. So they bring him in before the king of Gath and he says, listen, this dude has cracked under all the pressure. Okay, he's, he's, he's lost it. He's a few fries short of a Happy Meal, pennies short of a dollar. He's no threat to us. Get him out of here. Why would I bring him into my house? And so the text tells us in chapter 22, verse 1, that he goes to this cave of Adullam and he finds refuge there. Now look, it is not clear from 1 Samuel where this idea came from, okay? David's afraid that they're going to take his life, and so what does he do? He acts like a a loon. It's not clear in First Samuel where that idea came from, but it's very clear in Psalm 34 that David attributes his deliverance from the hand of the Philistine king to the Lord. It's very clear in Psalm 34. And he says, this is why I'm telling you, taste and see that God is good. Taste it for yourself. Taste His goodness for yourself. Uh, He has delivered me. I sought Him, and He answered me. I cried to Him, and He heard me. He responded, and He delivered me. Taste it and see it. Now, some of you may be saying, I don't have a, a king chasing me down to take my life, and I'm not seeking refuge from a foreign king, and I'm acting like I'm crazy, right? So what does this have to do with me? Listen, I'm telling you something. That God's deliverance wow, put on display in that context has a context that transcends every culture, every place, and every time in every life. That it is God who is able to deliver from sin and from death and from hell. And He's chosen to do that through the sending of His own Son. To bear the punishment and penalty of sin. To release us from the power of sin through His resurrection and the sending of the Holy Spirit. That God's able to deliver from those things. He's able to deliver from destructive patterns of unrighteousness. Listen, some of us have patterns in our lives of unrighteousness that have plagued us for years. You know why? Because the Bible tells us, Paul will tell us later on in the Scriptures, that whatever you reap, you will what? You will sow. There will be consequences to your actions. And so long as you are reaping, so long as you are sowing, so long as you are planting seeds of unrighteousness, what should you expect to harvest? Unrighteousness in your life pain, sorrow, suffering, all kinds of things, right? But God's able to deliver you from those patterns of unrighteousness. You know what else God's able to deliver from? Patterns of self-righteousness that are corrosive in your life. The reason people avoid us sometimes, right, is because of our condescending attitude or because of our snarky comments or because of our harsh ways that we deal with people. And a lot of that emerges from a heart that's filled with self-righteousness. But God's able to deliver even from that. He can deliver from sin and death and hell and unrighteousness and self-righteousness. He's able to deliver from the influence or control of the enemy of your soul, Satan himself. He's able to deliver from addictions, whether that be to substances or to people. Some people are in very toxic relationships because they're addicted to someone else, and God's able to deliver them from that. Or even technology. Mm -hmm. It's a very real addiction. And David says, Seek Him as I sought Him. Cry to him as I cried to him. He will answer. He will hear. See it for yourself. Taste it for yourself. And listen, this is the only w- this is the only way that you're ever gonna change the lenses through which you're looking at all of life until you experience the goodness of God's deliverance out of your unrighteousness, out of your self-righteousness, out of your, your sin out of your eternal condemnation apart from Christ, until you experience deliverance from those addictions that have controlled your life for so long, until God delivers you and pulls you out of that, you will always look at your life through the lens of self and magnify, magnify, magnify you. It's not until God pulls you out and delivers you that you're able then to magnify Him. But listen, nobody else can experience His goodness for you. You have to experience it for yourself. So what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? To seek Him. What are you waiting on to cry out to Him? Do it today. The second thing we must do if we're to change those lenses is this. David says we must mature in a fear of the Lord. Mature in a fear of the Lord. In verse 9, David says, Oh, fear the Lord, O oh, you saints. O oh, you holy ones of God. Now, fear of the Lord, listen, is often watered down to mean just the kind of same kind of respect that we would give to a stranger or the same kind of respect we might give to our parents or to our teachers, or if your parents are your teachers, then you would give to them, okay? It's often kind of watered down to this kind of benign sense of respect and kindness that we would give to everyone. However, in the Bible, fear of the Lord moves along a continuum, listen, from terror of knowing that God can do anything, even snuff you out like the wick of a candle in your sin, From that continuum of terror to a deep sense of reverence and soberness and awe of God with which we see Him and then respond to Him with trust and obedience and submission. So listen, fear of the Lord is not the same respect we would give to a stranger, but it's the reverence that we would operate with in the presence of royalty. Listen, uh, earlier, back, back in May, earlier this year, I had a chance to travel to London uh, to do some partnership development with one of our mission partners with Latitude GLC. Um, and while we were there, we were going to meet with one of the church partners that we were looking to establish a relationship with, and we were driving down one of the major thoroughfares there from London into the countryside, and I saw this exit on the thoroughfare to Windsor Castle, and I was like, man, it'd be awesome. I don't know when I'm ever going to come back here. I'd go see Windsor Castle. And so our gracious tour guide said on the way back we'll we'll make the stop and we'll get out we'll take the hour long quick tour, walk around, see the grounds, that kind of thing. And so sure enough, on the way back from that meeting, we stop and we drive up into Windsor and it's a quaint little English country town, right? Where all the, 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 the residents who live there are up and down the streets at all the little pubs and taverns and restaurants and shops and souvenir stands, right? Because that's where the Queen lives and so you gotta have your little souvenir from the Queen in order to go home. Okay. Unfortunately, they wouldn't let us have tea with her, uh, but <laughs> we tried. Uh, but, so, so we walk in the streets of, of Windsor there, right, and you're seeing all these kinds of people along the street, and you're saying hello to them, being quaint, being nice, You know, the, the people who want to sell you stuff, they're trying to be helpful to you, all those kinds of things. So you have this respect that you have for these strangers that you've never met before. However, if the queen had invited us to come in for tea, and we walked into her presence... The presence of royalty, we would likely, no matter how much you say, I treat all people the same, you would likely, right, in her presence, have a different disposition than you would in the presence of a stranger. To whom you showed respect, to the other you might show a degree of reverence. In the setting, in the presence of royalty. And when the Bible speaks of fear of the Lord, it's talking about more of the latter and less of the former. That our lives are lived before Him with a soberness, with a reverence, with an awe of who He is and what He's accomplished in human history through creation and redemption. And David says, fear Him. Mature in that, because that's a process of growing in fear of the Lord. When you place your faith and confidence in Christ, all you know at that point is that you were a sinner and that you needed a Savior. And that God wrecks your life with that reality. But as you grow and mature, what you begin to recognize, right, is that your sin goes a lot deeper than the things that you could see on the surface. That's why I've said it oftentimes that the older you grow and the more, the longer you walk with the Lord, the more of a sinner you realize you are, because it's no longer just about the outside of the plate and cup that are now become clean, but you begin to see the motivations of the heart and the desires that lie there, why you're doing what you were doing, and why now you're doing what you are doing, even though it looks a little bit different, sometimes it's still the same manifestation of the inclination of the heart that was there before. You begin to see those things. And you're maturing in that, of saying, not only, God, am I going to submit all this very visible immorality to you, but now, God, I'm also going to submit this very invisible reality of my heart to you. I live in reverence and awe before you. That's what David's talking about. This maturity in the fear of the Lord. And David doesn't just stop with abstractions. He gives us some handles to put on this. He does it in verses 11 to 14. He says this, he says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? In other words, if you want to know how to live a life that is full, if you want to know how to live a life that is pleasing and pleasant, he says these two things is what he boils it down to. He says, speak like you fear the Lord and live like you fear the Lord. In your words and in your deeds, And what comes out of your mouth and what you do with your hands, with your life. Speak like you fear the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit is what he says in verse 13. See, sins of the tongue reflect the condition of the heart. Jesus will tell us in the New Testament. So let your words communicate that your heart has a fear, awe, and reverence, soberness, and submission before God. And listen, you want to get real practical this morning. Magnify God in your marriage by the way you speak to your spouse. By the way you speak about your spouse to others. Some of you are like, you quit preaching and started meddling right but this is this is reality you magnify god magnify the lord in your marriage by words of kindness and gentleness and when correction is needed because listen i need a lot of it my wife will tell you okay when correction is needed because sometimes our spouses are the ones who see things most deeply in our souls that no one else does and sometimes they are the only ones because they see it, they can say it. Or at least they ought to have permission to say it. <laughs> but listen, when you say it, do you say it with an air of superiority? Or do you say it with an air of humility and love? Because you want to see not they because you want to see not just your life become easier, but to see them become more holy. What's the motivation that drives it? So speak like you fear the Lord and act like you fear the Lord. He says in verse 14, Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. See, it's not enough to just stop doing bad things, David says. Right? You're not just this this perpetual, neutral person. Right? Right? But there is now an engine in you that ought to be driving from this fear that you tasted of God's goodness and His deliverance. Now you fear Him as you put feet one foot in front of the other to walk with Him all the days of your life. And you begin to engage in not just avoiding things, but doing things. That's why He says seek peace and pursue it. A pursuit of something, listen, is not just, I'm just going to let go and let God. Right? But it's actually saying, I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to set my mind's attention and I'm going to begin to chase after this thing. And what does he say it is? Peace, harmonious relationships with other people. That's why in the New Testament the Bible tells us, so far as it depends upon you, what? Be at peace with all men with all men how you order your time, how you order your resources, how you order your energy, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your children. Uh Uh-oh, right? How you treat your friends. This is all a part of fearing God, ordering your life under His authority as you live your life out before Him in reverence. Mature in the fear of the Lord. Now the reason David says we should live with this kind of soberness and reverence and I find it this, this very interesting. Listen, and we're 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 just about done. But listen to what he says. The reason we should live with this kind of soberness and reverence is because self sufficiency. He contrasts it with self sufficiency. He says self sufficiency results in lack, while submission to and dependence upon the Lord results in all our needs being met. Let me see if I can break it down for you like this. You you. you, you you probably remember this movie that was released when I was like a teenager, and they just recently made a live uh, animation remake of it, but Lion King, right? You remember Muf- Mufasa, you remember Simba, and Osservan, yeah, right? Holding the cub out over the cliff like he's going to drop him, okay? right? Holding him out there, and everyone's singing, right? At the birth of this new cub, this new king who would take the place of his father one day. And in the actual African of that, that song, Right? There, the, it's translated at the beginning of that song as this, there comes a lion, oh yes, a lion, there comes a lion, oh yes, a lion, we're going to conquer. Right? Why? Because a lion is the king of the jungle. The lion is the apex predator. The lion is the top of the food chain. The lion is the powerful, majestic ruler of all the lower forms of life in the jungle. Right? And they are not dependent upon anyone or anything other than themselves. And this is the picture that David paints for us to draw a contrast between self-sufficiency and fear of the Lord. He says this. He says even young lions, vibrant lions, healthy lions. He's not talking about cubs. Some translators actually say that this word for young lions indicates a lion who has now reached its maturity grown in Maine and is now fending for itself, taking care of itself, but still young and healthy, not old and having to be cared for. Okay? I'm not going to go there. Because I'm getting close. So, these lions don't depend upon anyone or anything other than themselves. He says, even they... In the vibrancy of their youth, they still suffer hunger. They still go without meals. They still suffer lack. Even those at the top of the food chain, with the most power in the wild. He says, however, those who seek the Lord and fear him, they lack no good thing. That's the contrast that he draws. Now, some might say, well, hold on a minute. I've been seeking God for quite some time. There's a lot of good things I wish I still had. But I want to tell you something. Good things for David, when he writes these words, were not new houses. There's not new cars. There's not private jets or even first-class seats, which I long for every year when I fly to South Africa. They were not Caribbean islands or larger closets to keep all of our clothes and shoes, new boats, RVs, dirt bikes, or jungle safaris, and trophy mounts on our walls. Good things for David were protection from enemies who were actively seeking his life, food to eat, water to drink, shelter over his head, and clothes on his back. David says, I sought the Lord. And he answered me, he delivered me from my fears and my enemies, the fear of the king of the, of the Philistines and my enemy, the king of Israel who was seeking to take my life. He says, if you seek the Lord, he will answer you, too, and there'll be nothing that you need that he does not give. Hear me clearly this morning, if you depend on yourself, no matter how much you get, you will always still lack because you will always want more. But if you depend on the Lord and submit yourself to Him and live in reverence and awe before Him, listen, no matter how little you have, you will always have exactly what you need. That's the profession of faith, the confidence of faith to believe that what God has said in His Word is actually true. No matter how little you have, submit a life submitted to Him, you will always have everything that you need. Because He makes promises later on in verses 19 and following. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers Him out of them all. He keeps all His bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Even earlier in the text, He makes these declarations. Verse 15, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed. spirit there's a contrast again drawn in verses 19 and 20 many are the afflictions of the righteous he doesn't say the righteous are going to have no afflictions in fact he says you're going to have a lot of them you're going to have a lot of them he says god's going to be faithful to deliver you through them all and then he says in verse 19 afflictions will slay the wicked See that. Both the righteous and the wicked are going to have afflictions. The righteous, those who put their confidence in God, those who submit their lives to him and live a life of reverence before him, who fear him, live in all of him. With their words and with their deeds, they show that they have a life that is oriented to God and under his authority. He says they're going to have lots of afflictions, but God's going to deliver and deliver and deliver and deliver. Either he's going to deliver you from them or he's going to deliver you through them. One of the two. But he's going to deliver you. But the wicked will be slayed by their afflictions. Either the afflictions they experience in this life or the afflictions that are for them in the life to come. They will be slain. So fear the Lord. You know, I can't think of a better place to go to close this sermon than for you to consider the one who feared the Lord perfectly. There was one who lived in perfect fear of the Lord. Never a word that came out of his mouth that was not spoken with love, even those very difficult words of correction that he spoke that he was full of truth and grace. He brought those two things together in union like no one else ever has and no one else ever will. He was the righteous one. One, right? The righteous one. And though he experienced afflictions, the afflictions of a whip across his back and a crown being pressed upon his brow and his hands and his feet being pierced and nailed upon a cross not one of his bones was broken john 1936 for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled not one of his bones will be broken where did that come from psalm 34 Listen, if you want to experience the goodness of God and His deliverance this morning, you have to look nowhere other than the person of Jesus. Trust in Him. And if you want to see what it looks like to live in fear of the Lord, you have to look nowhere other than the person of Jesus. He is our substitute and our Savior and our example. The one who did what we could not do and bore what we should have bore and then, but also showed us what it looks like to live in submission and obedience to the Father's will at every step. Look to Him, church. We're inhaling the magnification of self. Exhale the magnification of God. Let's pray together. Father, today we're thankful for Jesus We're thankful for His work on our behalf. That He indeed was the one who was righteous. He was righteous in our place. And though His afflictions slayed Him, which would seem to contradict the truth of this passage that we just looked at, God, You delivered Him through them, through the resurrection, never to die again. And Father, you're promising your words that you would do the same for all who trust in you. Father, if there's anyone in this room this morning or under the sound of my voice who has not yet experienced, tasted and seen for themselves your goodness, I pray that they would. I pray that they would look to Christ for deliverance. They would look to Christ for salvation. They would look to Christ to be redeemed. They would look to Christ to be restored. Look to Christ to be made whole. And know that if they would cry to you, if they would seek you, you will answer, you will hear them. May they not waste any more time May they seek You today and cry out to You today. And may You deliver and save. And Father, for those of us whom You have delivered, God, may we walk before You in holiness and obedience, submitting our lives to You in reverence, living with a fear of You before our eyes. And may that be shown By the words that we speak and the things that we do we pray it in christ's name amen church i want to invite you to stand this morning as we sing in response to what god has said and if you got questions about the sermon this morning if you got questions about the church us who we are as redeemer questions about jesus the righteous one who suffered in your place, who lived in your place. I'll be at the kiosk in the back of the room on your way out today. I would love to visit with you. If you're a guest with us, I'd love to meet you, Uh, introduce myself. Uh, And then also, if you need prayer this morning, we'll be there to pray for you as well on your way out. So I invite you to respond with us in song to what the Lord has said to us this morning through His Word. As Zach and the band lead us. Lord, you search me How you know me,
1: you perceive my every thought from afar. All my wandering, still you love me. King of glory, you pursue my ancient. Out your truth holds Even when I'm lost You won't let me go When my heart is dry Your grace flows No matter where I run I'm not far from home Yeah, maybe may be weak But you're able Even when I'm not You're faithful Me, how you know me? You perceive my every thought from afar. All my wandering, still you love me, King of glory. Even when I'm lost, you won't let me go. When my heart was dry, your grace flows. No matter where I run, I'm not far from home. Yeah, maybe may be weak, but you're able. Even when I'm not, you're faithful. Even when I'm not, you're faithful. Where can I go from your spirit?
0: Where can I
1: hide from your face? Where can I flee from your presence? Where would I go? Where would I go? If I rise to the heavens, you're with me. If I fall to the depths of the sea, even there it's your hand that will lead me. Wherever I go, wherever I go, Where can I hide from your face? Where can I flee from your presence? Where would I go? Where would I go? If I rise to the heavens with me If I fall to the depths of the sea Even there is your hand that will lead me Wherever I go, wherever I go Even when I'm not your face I doubt your truth, even when I'm lost, you won't let me go. Oh, when my heart was dry, your grace flows. No matter where I run, I'm not far from home. Yeah, I may be weak, but you're able, even when I'm not, you're faithful.